May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, the promised Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I love reading and watching mysteries. I love looking for clues hidden within the story, and I love the unexpected surprises and unknown resolution. When I was in fifth grade, I'm pretty sure it was, I I bought a book, a collection of Sherlock's Holmes stories, The Speckled Band, you know, all those classics, and I continue to go back to it every few years and read a few of those. But now I'm a fan of John Grisham and his legal mysteries and of Daniel Silva and his mysteries about international espionage. There is mystery in today's Old Testament reading and today's gospel. There are clues hidden in the first text and revealed in the second, and there are unexpected twists and wonderful surprises. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts this morning to ponder the word of God about messianic promises and messianic proofs. People God dearly loves. Isaiah speaks and writes some 700 years before the birth of Christ. He's the prophet who promises comfort, comfort to my people, who declares that sins as dark as scarlet will be made as white as snow, who points to Emmanuel, God with us, who tells us that the servant of Yahweh will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Chapter 35 isn't really in the middle of this extended prophecy, but it is the pivot point. Judgment, including the judgment of exile, has been the theme up to this point. But today's brief and beautiful Old Testament reading speaks hope and delivers a multifaceted promise. Those with anxious hearts are told, be strong, fear not, because they should just chill, because they should figure it out and tough it out, because this too shall pass. No, 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 but because Your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save. Your strength, Isaiah says, is not in your ability because that's idolatry. Your strength, your hope, your future is the one who keeps his promises, who does what he says. Did you notice, and I hope that you did, that the wills in verse 4 turn to shalls in verses 5, 6, and 7. Will says it's going to happen, but shall says it must happen. So I'm going to read those few verses again, adding shall five more times where it's clearly implied. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams shall flow in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground shall 
become springs of water. Are you beginning to discover any clues? Are you beginning to unveil and understand this mystery? I'll help you. Actually, Mark chapter 7 will help us. Jesus is on the move. He's left Galilee and walked northwest outside Israel to the region of Tyre and Sidon. But now he's taken his disciples on a long trek, some 50 miles, around the top of the Sea of Galilee to the south and southeast into the region of the Decapolis, the Greek Ten Cities. And just as buddies of the paralytic carried their friend to Jesus in Capernaum back in chapter 2, some people bring to him a deaf man who has a speech impediment. What, is, what was true then is still true today. If you can't hear well, it's difficult to speak well because we say or try to say what we hear or try to hear. The way Jesus responds tells us several things. First, that he's compassionate. He feels deeply for broken people. It's the words of Psalm 146. He lifts up those who are bowed down. Second, that Jesus doesn't do miracles to show off. If Jesus would, then he must wait until a larger number of people gather. Instead, he takes the man away from the crowd. Third, that the power is in the word. Power is always in. It is the word that Christ speaks. And Jesus acts out the miracle because Jesus can't tell the deaf man what he's going to do. Our Lord puts his fingers in the man's ears and with this action says, I'm going to do something about your hearing. After this, Jesus spits and touches the man's tongue. I'm also going to change the way you talk. Then the obedient son looks up to heaven. He sighs, he breathes, and Jesus says to the man, Ephaphtha, be opened. And the miracle happens. The man's ears are open. Sound waves make the eardrum move. Those vibrations travel through the ossicles to the cochlea. And the movement of fluid in the cochlea makes the hair cells transmit neural signals. Then the brain translates those signals into clear sounds. That's what the textbooks would tell you happens. The man now hears the voice of Jesus. The man hears his own voice for the first time, and he hears his friends laughing with delight when they see him grinning. But this miracle reveals and adds mystery because Jesus orders them to keep their mouths shut, to tell no one. Yet the more Jesus said, quiet down, the more fervently they spoke up. And I love verse 37. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The question posed by Isaiah was, Who is, who will be the Messiah? The question before the bystanders at the Decapolis was, Who 
is this Jesus? Isaiah tells us the solution to the mystery. Watch what he does. He will make blind people see. He will make deaf people hear. He will make lame people leap. He will make mute people speak. And Mark offers that great big clue to solve the mystery with the healing of the deaf mute in chapter 7. Yet the question remains for us and for all today. Who is this Jesus? And while other portions of Scripture give the answer by what Jesus says, today the answer is found in what our Lord does, which points us to the final and most forceful actions of the Messiah. Who is Jesus? Look at the cross. See him despised and rejected. See him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. See him wounded and crushed. See that the iniquity of all people of all time has been laid on his bloodied back. See him suffer. See him sigh and breathe his last. See him die. Know and rejoice that by this holy and innocent death, the way to salvation is opened. Then know even more and rejoice even more on the first day of the week when the stone is tossed aside and the tomb is both open and empty, for the third day resurrection means that the way into the garden of the new creation is open to all who cling to Christ Jesus in faith. Then, at the last and forever lasting days, all that Isaiah promised will become reality. Broken bodies and barren deserts will be reversed by the great king in the great kingdom of God. The dry wilderness shall be flooded. Burning sand shall be clear and cool pools. Thirsty ground shall be gushing springs. And yet there is a now, even as we await the not yet. Now, by the Holy Spirit's life-giving, faith-breathing work, Ephatha is spoken to us. And our eyes are open to see God's goodness. Our ears are open to hear of God's grace. Our hearts are open to receive his forgiveness. Our mouths are open to both praise and tell he has done all things well. And our hands are open to give and to serve. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.